Hello and welcome. You're listening to Voices from the Pews, the show that invites you to conversations with Catholics of color and those from communities of non-European origin so that we can get to know more about each other's faith, experiences, and stories. I'm your host, Lorna DeRose. Friends, thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and following Voices from the Pews. I hope you have found the conversations with Sister Barbara Gutierrez, Susan Ho, Father Alex Castro, Jamila Lima Pandolfo, Sister Marsha Hall, Paul Albert, Sister Mary Caribio, and Malena Towers as inspiring, illuminating, and informative as much as I have. And I hope you will continue listening and tell others about this outreach. I hope that we can become a community of voices from the pews. Today's guest, Nate Tinner Williams, reminds me of the words of Sister Thea Bowman when she addressed the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in 1989. She said in part, What does it mean to be Black and Catholic? It means that I come to my church fully functioning. I bring myself, my Black self, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to become as a gift to the church. Nate, like Sister Thea, is a convert who brings himself all the gifts he has as a journalist, writer, commentator, speaker, singer, and seminarian, and unreservedly offers them to God in service to the church. I hope you enjoy listening to today's conversation. Hello and welcome, and today we have with us Nate Tinner-Williams, who is a commentator, a speaker, a writer, a journalist, a singer, as well as a seminarian. Nate, welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I'm so glad that you're here as well. And before we get started, I, I just want to thank you for all of the work that you've been doing within the Black Catholic community over the past year and a half. I think a lot of us would love to know a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a convert to the Catholic faith. I was raised Protestant and was Protestant for the first 28 years of my life. I discovered the Catholic Church shortly after I discovered the Eastern Orthodox Church. Those were both things that happened in 2019. I was living in San Francisco, and I was, I guess, on the outskirts of Protestantism, and then I finally decided to try something new, and now my life is very different than it was then in a way that I would have never anticipated. I started um, considering the Catholic faith in spring 2019. I was confirmed on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which uh, is normally on December 8th. That year it wasn't, I think, because it was a Sunday. It was but a Sunday, yes. Yeah, my journey into the church was, yeah, it was it was a pretty swift journey for me, inspired in part just by my coming to an understanding of what the Catholic faith is, as opposed to what I had thought it was. And also because of my discovery of Black Catholicism, I realized that I didn't have to give up the things that I was raised with that cult from culture to liturgy to spirituality. Um, 
and it's funny because those were kind of things I had let go of as I had gotten older, but somehow Catholicism of all things brought me back to those those roots of my of my Christian faith. So in 2020, right after I was confirmed, the pandemic broke out, but it was also around that same time that I decided to apply to seminary with the Josephites. Uh, they're a religious community that serves African Americans and it's the only male religious society that does that in the United States. So very historic, very unique. And I had been in formation with them officially since uh, the end of 2020. And I just finished my first year of seminary at Catholic University of America. I'm also a student with the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University of Louisiana. And I am co-founder of Black Catholic Messenger, a publication that serves African-Americans. We cover stories of interest to that community. And that was founded in fall of 2020, which was while I was waiting to hear back from the Josephites. So it gave me something to do. And now it's still giving me lots of things to do. So I'm very much enjoying what I've been up to. Well, you've been very prolific during this time. As you're speaking and you're sharing a little bit of your story, I can just think of Sister Thea Bowman saying that we as African-Americans, we bring ourselves, our whole selves to the church. And so you are indeed bringing yourself, your whole self of who you are into the church. Now, as I hear you telling your story and your faith journey, you also were looking at um, Eastern Orthodox Church as in addition to the Catholic Church. Was it a matter of looking at the early church fathers or was it looking at the forms of liturgy? What sparked your interest? It was a little bit of everything. Certainly the first thing that hit me was the liturgy and the communion of the saints, because I think in the average Orthodox Church, that's pretty much the first thing that's going to hit you visually with your senses when you walk into an Orthodox church, it's just in your face. Um, especially I walked in on a Christmas, at a Christmas service, Christmas 2018. So it was what I was seeing, it was what I was smelling. It was just the whole atmosphere drew me in. And I was like, this is very different than what I've, anything I've ever experienced before. And to me different is often good. And I was very much fascinated and interested, but I was also very ignorant. I didn't know what was going on. Um, it was attractive at the same time, very new and mysterious in the sense that I was just like, what is going on? So I started asking a lot of questions, which as a unsuspecting journalist, I guess that's what I do is I ask questions. And so I was uh, meeting with the priest there at the at an Eastern Orthodox church for months after that, just trying to figure out what was going on. Right. When you walk into an Orthodox church, everything has a meaning. Yes. You know, yes. from the way in which when you walk through that door, from the iconography, from the, the what you see on the walls, what you see when you look up from the ceiling, and even, for example, the way it's shaped. I mean, very similar to the Catholic church, but, you know, when you're thinking about the way litur liturgy begins as soon as you walk in. Yes. I mean, even the doors themselves. I think the church that I visited, like, they, it was the most elaborate doors to a church I'd ever seen. And mm -hmm. it was like, I don't think that was something I realized until later. But now thinking back, it's truly everything about even the architecture of the building is trying to tell you something about ancient Christianity. And, you know, you see all the these faces on the wall. 
smelled the incense. I saw the iconostasis. I probably didn't see the priest when I first walked in. He was probably behind it at the time. And I was just like, that was also new to me, very new to me. And those things all drew me in. And then, of course, it became a question of history. Like, what did the other church actually believe about everything, about Jesus, about the sacraments, about other Christians, or, you know, what, what would define them in relation to other heresy was an early problem in the church how did they distinguish themselves from then as you know the the members of christ's true church carrying on his teachings and those were all questions that i had only asked in a certain way before and i got some new answers to those questions that shocked me and scandalized me and but eventually you know opened my eyes so it was i, I was I was ready to become Orthodox, I think, within about a month of, of experiencing that liturgy for the first time. And uh, yeah, I was hooked. So liturgy was, it, it, it was scandalizing. It was shocking. It, it really was completely different to what you had experienced up until that time in, in your faith life. As you continued on this journey, looking into Eastern Orthodoxy, as well as also at some point encountering the Catholic Church, what struck you then in regards to the Catholic Church? And then how did you discover that there are Black Catholics who have been a part of the church as well? Yeah, I think when that door swung open for me, which I interpreted at the time, was that was meant for me to become Orthodox, I think the door was actually opening to the Apostolic Church, and I guess perhaps more specifically the Apostolic Church is, because as, as I'm sure you know, the Catholic Church recognizes the sacraments of the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Oriental Orthodox Church, and the Assyrian Church of the East. I didn't even know most of these churches existed, though, when I went to this Orthodox church, so when I came to the point where I felt like I could become Orthodox, very quickly I started to realize, you know, I'm a lot closer to being able to become Catholic as well. That was the other one that was on my radar at the time. And I happened to be around a lot of Catholics at the time in San Francisco, and I started asking them some of the questions that I had been asking this Orthodox priest. And it became, a, uh, what's the word? Like, I don't want to say a battle, but, you know, I realized I had two choices, not just it was a, Was it more of like a, a struggle, an inner struggle of... Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I, what do I choose? Like, right. it was one or the other. And, but it was interesting because before I had become open to orthodoxy, I had kind of despised Catholicism. I didn't know much about it, but what I thought I knew, I didn't like. And as I got out of that mindset, which was natural as you come to learn about the early church, I was just like, yeah, I've got to make a choice here. And I would say that part of what tipped the scales was discovering that there are Black Catholics because um, while there is an African tradition of Oriental Orthodoxy, there's not so much of that tradition in Eastern Orthodoxy, which is most often associated with- Nationality. uh, Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ethno-religious groups from Mm -hmm. from Europe, Eastern Mm -hmm. Europe usually. And so as I came to terms with that, I was like, well, I can become Orthodox and kind of assimilate to something else, or I can become Catholic and join a community that is more like what I know from my youth, 
what I already adhere to culturally. And then on top of that, like out of the blue, I discovered that my mom, who was adopted, I learned that her parents and grandparents were actually Catholic. And so what I thought was like me joining this totally unfamiliar uh, tradition of Christianity was actually something that was quite deeply rooted in in a certain wing of my family. And I, again, I had no idea about that. Wow, that, yeah. it, that must have been a big surprise for you. Yes. And, and your mom had known this or was that something she, that she did? Yeah, she did know. She did know. I guess she, it just wasn't pertinent information because nobody in our family then, right, right. but certainly not our immediate family, was Catholic. Mm-hmm. But when I asked her, she was like, yeah, maybe my mom was Catholic. My dad, I was like, what? And by this point, I was pretty sure I was going to convert because I had already been attending a, a Black parish. I was in love with it. And then she says, yeah, my parents are Catholic. And then I asked one of our long lost cousins and she was like yeah your grandparents were catholic too i was like what is going on here <laughs> so there you are they, they were praying yeah. for you I, apparently so and i had no idea and as you were coming into the church how did you find out about the josephites i believe i first found out about them by reading about them uh, one of the first books i read when i was wanting to learn more about Black Catholicism was the history of Black Catholics in the United States by Father Cyprian Davis. And they were covered in that book. And yeah, on top of, you know, not knowing anything about Black Catholicism, I was kind of shocked that there were entire religious communities associated with Black Catholicism. And um, at the time, I wasn't really seriously discerning a vocation or anything. It was just, you know, a fun fact to learn about. And living in San Francisco, there were no Josephites near me at the time. So it was it just seemed like a you know a fun concept in my head. <clears throat> but um I had previously lived in New Orleans and I ended up moving back to New Orleans in 2020, where the Josephites are very, very present. I think they have more parishes there than any any other city. I think you're right, yes. Yeah, so when I moved back there, I ended up living very close to a Josephite parish, started attending there, met a Josephite, met two sisters of the Holy Family, another Black Catholic community. And um, yeah, I, I fell in love with it pretty quickly. My discernment went from zero to 100. And uh, it wasn't exactly zero, but it was, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't super serious. And then suddenly I was like, oh man, I need to, I need to seriously consider this. You're listening to Voices from the Pews. We'll be right back. Does your audio project need a little pizzazz? Lasers? Dinosaurs? Monkeys? Ringing telephones? We can give you all those things and more. Check out our website, www.superblink.org. Welcome back to Voices from the Pews. Is there an idea or a comment you'd like to share? Send an email to voicesfromthepewspodcast at gmail.com or call and leave a message at 617-682-0885. I get the sense that somewhere along the way, you've always had a sense that you were called to ministry even before you became Catholic. 
Yes. I actually attended seminary, a Baptist seminary for a semester when I was pretty much fresh out of college. I uh, guess you could say I discerned out of that pretty quickly. But yeah, I still had an idea in my head that I wanted to be a minister of something. I was really interested in music and apologetics at the time. And well, I sort of still am, but yeah, that was in the back of my head as I was converting. And yeah, eventually came to the front of my head as I learned more about the Josephites and was up close with, with what Black Catholic ministry looks like in that context. And it was like my conversion, it, it happened pretty quickly. Things moved uh, rapidly. And things moved very rapidly during a time of COVID where things were kind of dragging or just moving very slowly. Yeah, for so, you, so, things moved very quickly. So I guess the application process, starting the application process moved quickly. But yeah, COVID is where things slowed down. I think I met with the vocations director the first time the day that the lockdown started as, as we were finishing our meeting. So yeah, that did, I think, extend the, the process of actually starting my formation but um yeah right up to the point of submitting my application yeah that that was pretty quick yeah and so as you began to the formation process you also somewhere somehow found time to begin the black catholic messenger how did that happen pandemic obviously as you know had us home most of us home for the better part of 2020 and i was certainly one of them so I had a lot of time to think and read and research, and I was learning a lot about Catholic media because, you know, as a millennial, a millennial Catholic convert, especially at the time of COVID, you know, Catholic media was something I was taking in quite a bit, but not much Black Catholic media. Joe Fights have a quarterly publication. The Knights of Peter Claver and Ladies Auxiliary have a quarterly publication. But beyond that, I was like, well, what? Where's the Black national newspaper? So yeah, out of that came questions that I was asking around and uh, a Zoom meeting where I was like, anybody who's interested in starting something like that, let's, let's chat about it. And yeah, by fall 2020, it was it was happening. It was great because I, I remember seeing someone mention it and I think I saw someone post it. Maybe it was you or someone else posting um, something, uh, an article. And I went, oh, this is happening. And, <laughs> you know, and then funnily enough, I was talking to a colleague and he said, oh, I just discovered something. I know you'll love to see this. And I, oh, you know, he, he forwarded an article from, from Black Catholic Messenger to me. And I thought, this is wonderful. Not only are Black Catholics reading it, but people outside the community are starting to notice this as well. So I thought that was really wonderful that it began to take off. And I think a lot of people are finding their voice in a lot of the articles and opinion pieces that are published. Yes, I'm glad to hear that. That's always been the goal, you know, to be a voice for Black Catholics. Black Catholics are not monolithic, as you know. Black people are not monolithic in this country. Um, and we certainly represent a specific kind of Black Catholic voice. But I think the tradition of social advocacy and just the spirit of survival, the spirit of not being afraid to speak out when it's needed, that's something that's characterized, I think, Black Catholics from the get-go. 
even though that's not necessarily the reputation that they have. And I feel like the Black Catholic Messenger, one of our goals is to, you know, make sure that people know we are, we're here, we do have something to say, and that, you know, there's no contradiction between being Black and being a faithful Catholic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that people are able to see themselves in, in what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's wonderful. And you've been posting some wonderful articles. And one of the most recent articles, you uh, shared a bit about a shadowy figure from our history. I think in the United States, it seems that we tend to have Anglophone uh, leaning within our history, and we don't necessarily look at the Spanish who began to colonize the Southwest and the Southern part of the United States, whether we're looking at Florida New Mexico, Arizona, etc. But you have discovered that there may have been a, a Black Catholic priest that was on a journey, uh, an exploratory journey with uh, one of the early uh, explorers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And how did you discover this? Yes, of course. I guess it started again with the book from Father Davis, History of Black Catholics, because his is, if I recall correctly, his book starts out by telling the story of Esteban, who was an early Black Catholic explorer in um, the 16th century. And as I began to read more about them, I came across this story of a Franciscan priest who had been on this expedition with other Spanish explorers. And you know, I was shocked. And I don't think it would be proper for me to say I discovered it because I'm reading these sources where that were writing about it, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how, how did we miss this? Because you don't hear this person mentioned in modern accounts of the Spanish colonial history, Spanish Catholic history, you don't hear about this person. But, but yeah, it's, it's there, it's in the records. And I know other Venerable Augustus Tolton, he's he was the first openly Black Catholic priest in the United States, um, but he certainly was not the first Black Catholic priest. Period. We know that now. I believe where you're located was was associated with um, the Healy brothers, one of the Healy brothers, and um, so they are another you know, quote unquote first. But then here we have this other guy who was in what would become the United States um, even a century or three centuries before that. So it's, 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 it's a remarkable thing to think about how long people of African descent have been here, have not, not only been here, but also been impactful in the story of what would become the United States, which is not, you know, not always a positive story. There were brutal Black cops in that that historical trajectory as well. But, you know, so all of these stories ought to be told. And um, shout out to Delilah Beasley, who was a Black Catholic journalist in the early 20th century who, who helped put this story in the record, this, this early Black Franciscan. And so, yeah, these stories are out there. And I think there are other stories to be told similar to this. I think if this guy could have existed without much fanfare, then there's probably more out there. So right. I'm excited that, you know, with some Google searches, I was able to find this guy, you know, maybe 
maybe there's more to come. I'm, I'm sure there may be others to come. And the ones that we do know of and that we do appreciate, whether it's Father Charles Uncles, Bishop James, Augustine Healy, Father Augustus Tolton, there's stories in some ways because of the complicated history of the United States are complicated and are fraught with pain. However, we should honor them because what they went through in many ways opened the doors for so many others to be able to come in and serve because it was not an easy thing for a person of color, a black whether it's a woman religious or a man wanting to be a priest, it was not always easy to be seen as being able or fit to serve in our church in that way. Yes, there's always been a struggle. And I guess, you know, the struggle is a couple centuries longer than we realized. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's very sad that, you know, there was so much repression involved. I was, I was speaking with another, with a priest actually, Mm. a few days ago who was telling me that even in the Spanish world it was controversial to ordain someone of African descent so this guy who was a Franciscan friar that that might have been controversial in and of itself and then you know after the British took control of most of the United States and then it uh, what would become the United States I mean uh, the guy obviously got worse and um, it got to the point where black people couldn't even enter seminary or really be ordained at all in America so it's it's very tragic how that how that turned out but you know I'm grateful now that things have gotten better and also that these stories can be spread to a wider audience which just might inspire a reversal of that of those evils that were done sure and I hope that through that inspiration it would encourage others to see themselves as being able to say that, yes, this is a vocation that I, I want to uh, embrace and say yes to. Absolutely. Uh, men and women both. It's so yes. important. It's so needed. And we are so underrepresented. Very true. Very true. So we continue to pray and support our vocations from our brothers and sisters. It's our future. We got to do it. Yeah, we do. Um, now, as you are a journalist and a seminarian, and you're also at the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier in Louisiana. I am certainly enrolled and hope to get my master's in theology there in the future. How has that been so far? You have some wonderful professors, and what are some things that you have been learning that you had not encountered in your previous research? Well, um, it's it, it's totally unique. You know, there's no other program like it in the Western Hemisphere, probably in the world. And as a pandemic Catholic, I was I experienced it virtually for the previous two years. Wasn't able to attend this year. It's actually going on right now in person. But um, yeah, I'm a class where you know I'm going to hear from a black professor or using texts written by black Catholic authors. And we're in a context where we're having mass every day in the Black Catholic tradition. Well, so you're going to get that experience. You know, it's it's an intensive three-week program in New Orleans. And man, this is like, we're getting the, the full experience 
it's it's hitting us in waves, hitting me in waves. It was because, like, again, where else do you get that at that volume, at that intensity, um, with the purpose of you know academic learning? It's uh, it's incredible, and that you can get a master's degree in Black Catholic studies. Like, who, where else? So. Yeah, it's it's unique, totally unique. I would recommend it to, to anyone who's interested in getting a Black Catholic academic perspective. Sure, and I think it's something, it's not only just for Black Catholics, but for anyone who would be working with and within the Black Catholic community, uh, I think it would be worth, at, at the very least, taking one course or two. So I guess the village awaits you. Indeed it does. And that's another benefit of it is the people you meet of your fellow students. My cohort, cohort was certainly quite diverse. And I was heartened to see that, you know, religious orders are sending their non-Black members there to, to learn more about the Black Catholic experience. It's, it's amazing. I hope more dioceses and religious communities get that idea and run with it. Yeah, same. But little by little, I'm sure it will happen. Yeah, we're, they'll be there. Yes, absolutely. One more question before we end the interview. In your time of learning about the faith and discerning, is there a particular saint that you felt very close to or you felt uh, a kinship to as you were learning about the faith? Certainly. When I first asked my Catholic friends about Catholicism, like, should I become Catholic instead of Orthodox? They told me, two people in particular told me, they gave me a book, actually. One of them gave me a book with the Saint of the Day, Saints of the Day. And I remember getting it, but I was not at the point where I was even wanting to, to use this book. And I was like, I don't even know where to start with this. And they told me, well, just start with your birthday. Figure out who's your birthday saint. And I was like, okay, let's let's go with that. And I flip in this this huge book to October 4th. And it's St. Francis of Assisi. And I was like, yes, October 4th. And I was like, hey, I've heard of this guy. And again, I wasn't super enthusiastic about it, but I went ahead and I did what they asked. I prayed to St. Francis, like, help me out. Help me out, brother. Tell me what to do. And and it was not some mystical experience, at least not then at that point, that I would have trace back and said, oh my goodness, St. Francis is talking to me. He responded. But looking back now, I would certainly say that St. Francis has been the one who guided me in my journey to the church. And if I could go back and pick a patron saint or a confirmation saint, it would probably be I don't have a confirmation saint, but um, I would certainly claim him as my patron saint. And my vocation, even more specifically, did kind of involve him a mystical experience involving St. Francis. So I give him credit for my vocation, even though I didn't join the Franciscans. And yeah, he's he's amazing. Oh, the Lord willing, I'll be at his transit. I don't know how to say the word, transitus uh, on the day before my birthday, hopefully oh, every year. <laughs> wonderful. Well, listen, I, I hope for that for you as well. And that is a, a beautiful witness of how asking the saints for help and, you know, asking them to guide us, you, you will get that. You, you will get an answer. 
it's, it's amazing. It's it very is true. really true. Yeah. Nate, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for speaking with me. And I really appreciate this conversation. This has been wonderful. And I'm sure that, um, you know, as things continue, we may, you know, talk again on, on, on the podcast. I certainly hope that we will. Thank you for having me on. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation with Nate Tinner Williams, who, through his desire to serve God and his inquisitiveness, discovered the beauty of the church. He has connected with Black Catholics, has entered the church, and is now a seminarian for the Josephites. Please keep him in your prayers as he continues his studies and formation for the priesthood. During our conversation... Nate mentioned that one of the saints who has meant a lot to him during his journey into the church is St. Francis of Assisi. Will you take a moment to pray the peace prayer of St. Francis with me now? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You can go to the show notes to learn more about the Black Catholic Messenger and the Josephites. Please tell friends about the podcast by sharing this episode with your comments as to what touched you about today's conversation, use the hashtag Voices from the Pews. A very special thanks to Nate Tinner Williams for taking the time to be with us today. Please join us for the next episode with Deacon Sarmed Ashkuri, who grew up in Iraq and today serves the Chaldean Mission of Massachusetts and the Latin Rite of the Archdiocese of Boston. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Pews, produced by Lorna DeRose. Audio editing and post-production by Byron Lee. Music composed and performed by André Louis. Social media assistance provided by Jacqueline Brunache. Web hosting provided by Beyond the Brand. Connect with us at VoicesFromThePews.com See you in the next episode. Thank you for listening.